0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 52 of the State of Play podcast. I am your host, Martino Puccio. Alongside me is Matt Santangelo. We have a little bit of a similar episode to what we did in episode 50 uh, with Matt and Matteo Benetti's interview. This time it'll be a pet and, and a special interview. I'll let him take it away uh, when we toss it to him. But first, we're just going to discuss a couple of events and, and big topics that have happened um, over the weekend, obviously, Matt and I were discussing uh, some of the Champions League matchups that uh, took place. Prior to that, we gave it a little preview. One shocking, not so sh- shocking um, for, I guess, certain fans and a fan base um, happened this weekend, and it's Manchester City advancing, Lyon advancing, Bayern advancing, not the shocking one, obviously, and then Barcelona um, beating Napoli. They advance. Matt, um, first of all, how are you? And second of all, what did you think of uh, these matches?
1: I'm doing pretty well. Um, great to be back on on the show, obviously for episode 52. Another great interview coming up, which uh, I'm very excited about. I had a kind of a, a little early listen to it, which I talked about on Twitter. But yeah, I'm I'm doing pretty well. And for for some of the the Champions League matchups. Um, the, the the second, I think it was Saturday, um, those matchups, they were a little bit, you know, they weren't as exciting. I think obviously most people believed that Bayern were going to move past Chelsea. They kind of just solidified everything with a really big performance in the second leg. Of course, Lewandowski had a great two legs against Chelsea. Um, this would have been a great performance or a great performance is to have secured his Don Dior case, but that's obviously not going to happen. But nevertheless, Bayern advance. Um, I thought, You know, Barcelona were the better team against Napoli. That's what I predicted on the podcast. Um, But overall, none of the results kind of surprised me. I actually had City moving on too. And um, yeah, I'm excited for the quarterfinals. There's some really, you know, tasty matchups. Of course, we all talked about Atalanta PSG being one of them, but there's some big stars that are not going to be featuring in that one. But nevertheless, I'm I'm happy for going into these matches with uh, more of a clear mind. Obviously a one game elimination makes it that much more exciting. And um yeah, I- I'm I'm ready to dive ahead first into them and of course some of the other um the topics we're gonna discuss.
0: Yeah, um nothing all too surprising that Messi was unbelievable. Cristiano played a great match, but at the end of the mm-hmm. day, um I think one of the bigger things was something that I noticed was VAR is absolutely a mess. Um I'm obviously an advocator for it. Um it's the people that are using it that are bad, not the system in itself. Um but obviously that could be a, a long-form discussion for another day. But um, it impacted some of these games. I think it changed some of the momentum. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you have 90 minutes and actually 180 minutes to decide how you advance to the next round. And it's not going to come down to one or two calls. If if you do that, I think you just make excuses at the end of the day. Um Hugh Ray, another early exit there, obviously, Matt. And that's the big story again. You get Cristiano Ronaldo, it's inexcusable to go out this early in the Champions League, especially to a team that finished seventh in in Ligue 1 last season. Uh, Juve, obviously, nine consecutive Scudetti. They fired Sarri, and it happened the next day. Um, There were reports saying that the decision was made even prior to that. We kind of felt that even though he did win the scudetto he he didn't have his job that safe it was an odd hire from the beginning you and i both discussed it on periscope live um, on the state of play twitter account you guys can go check it out there if you want a more longer and informed discussion i think we got up to 45 minutes there it was basically a full podcast so go check that out but to keep it simple sorry has gone pierlo's in one shot one sh- absolutely shocking the other isn't all that shocking Again, in a vacuum, because we don't have much time here before we get to Pets interview, what are your real thoughts on this? Because at the end of the day, <laughs> I saw this on Twitter, Pirlo still doesn't have his UEFA coaching license. He's able to um, hold practices and all that, but he, he is not allowed to be a manager in any game until October, which is just, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just hilarious. This is absolutely boomer bust uh, of the sorts of anything I've ever seen.
1: This is uh this is a a strange time. I don't think Juventus fans anticipated this um entering the season. Obviously they knew it was gonna be a little bit of a difficult one. The year of transition, as you mentioned, away from Allegri to Sarri, Most people thought, you know, the season really was underwhelming in terms of the style of play, the expectations, although they did win the league for a nice straight time, as you mentioned, didn't win the Copa Italia and they were putting all their eggs in a basket for Ronaldo to carry them to the Champions League. Of course he had his his moments. He scored a penalty, he scored a great goal with his left foot, and he kind of felt that maybe Juve were going to pull it off and you know, have Sarri, you'll fight another day and keep this thing rolling here and keep this, this dream going. But, yeah, it wasn't enough. Of course, you mentioned you got fired the um, day after. And then hours later, here comes Andrea Pirlo when everyone was kind of discussing and saying who should be the next coach, who would be a good fit, who could be a realistic option. And all that was quickly thrown to the wayside, and it was Andrea Pirlo appointed as the coach of the first team eight or nine days later. Um, after being appointed a coach of the U23s, his first job, his first coaching gig. There's so much to digest. It's still very fresh, very raw, because at the time of recording, we're still learning a lot of details. Some of the targets they may be going after, things are starting to come out. Um, I'm sure we'll learn more as to maybe what went into the appointment, why it was pure, why it wasn't another coach, another option. Nevertheless, I think we um, we covered a ton of it on our Periscope, as, as you mentioned, Martino, with I think 45 minutes to be exact. So there's tons of reaction, raw reaction, quick reaction to the news um, as it came out. And I encourage you guys to take a listen to that conversation because it's it's lengthy. We talk about Juve's entire situation. We talk about some of the expectations people maybe um, fans could have. Maybe what went into um, Agnelli, Paratici, and and, and company you know electing to go with Pirlo instead of another more experienced option um, with a quick turnaround. Again, time of recording here. I think we're what about a month, maybe five weeks out of the season starting. So there's a lot of things that maybe crossed their mind making this decision, but. Andrea Piel is a coach, and now we have to wait and see how this man does, because we all know he was a great footballer that obviously doesn't always translate to the bench and managing egos, um you know getting the X's and Os the tactics, the, the preparation, the training regimen, all those sorts of things come into play, so we'll have to wait and see how it transpires, but yeah, definitely a, a shock to everybody. I don't think anybody really saw this coming.
0: Yeah, um look, uh, this is a big gamble by Agnelli. um obviously, like again. We we highlighted some examples of uh past players, even even geniuses, right? Getting their coaching gigs, even the Chavis of the world, the Nestas, the Catusos, they all went different routes how to like really build their resumes up and they're still doing so, uh, for the most part before they get these gigs. Pirlo, there's there's just nothing um um it's just it's it's really it's really crazy to see. Um I I thought there was a part of me that thought it was going to be parallel when they said that they're going completely outside of the box and they just appointed him with U23, but I didn't think they would actually go through with it. They go through with it. um, It's just going to be strange to see what the expectations are, but I I will say this. If Antonio Conte is staying at Inter and they're making the investments that he properly wants, I don't think there's any excuse for Inter not to win this title and that's just me. I'm not, this is the first time in this whole nine year reign where I am not convinced Juve wins this. Do I, would I be shocked if they won the Scudetto? No, probably not, but I would be not shocked at all. Like I'm, I am leaning towards Inter winning this title at this point. Um, If they don't lose their minds and Conte does a Conte where he just leaves up, you know, up in arms and angry at the transfer market and all of that stuff. But We'll we'll get into all that stuff with Juve when the seasons arrive. We're, we're still six weeks away, but let, let's discuss uh, a few of these Champions League matchups to get back on track with that. Um, first one's going to be PSG Atalanta. Some big names missing here, right? Ilicic is not going to be there. Mbappe's out. Uh, we're not going to see Ferrati because he picked up a knock in training. These are three massive, massive players. PSG's going to have more issues, right? Um, they're losing bigger impact players. Atalanta still have most of their depth. We know where their depth is. If they were going to lose a player, it would be better off that they that they lost up front. Golini, I believe, is in question now because he he had a knock in training. Matt, what is it, what is your real vibes on this? Um, for me, I think this can go either way. I think Atalanta has everything it takes to win this tournament, especially in the current format. What do you you feel about that? And what do you feel about some of the other ones that are catching your eye as well? Um, Or do you see any of these matchups that's like, all right, I don't really have to think twice on this. I think this will be over um, in the first half or anything of the sorts. But I don't don't think we have anything like that, to be honest with you. Maybe Man City, Leon.
1: The Atalanta-PSG game fascinates me so much because I think, you know, we all know how Atalanta can attack at will. They, They have such tremendous attacking firepower. Even with Ilicic out, of course, he's a, a goal-scoring threat with that really lovely left foot, but he's also a creative presence that they're going to definitely miss. But we've touched on a ton. The Atalanta aren't really so much dependent on one individual. Yeah, obviously some individuals, they're going to hurt when you, when you don't have them. But in any case, you look at what Atalanta have built, and it's almost like a next one up type mentality with this team where if Ilicic goes out, they'll have someone come in that's uh, – and this year more more than in previous years, they have some depth which they really lacked in previous years. So I anticipate with this one being a, a relatively high-scoring game, which excites me quite a bit. I'm happy to see Neymar uh, on display. Of course, I think he's a player that's uh, somewhat forgotten. I think you know everyone gave all the attention to Mbappe as like the next big star, or the next big guy to win Ballon d'Or, and before him it was probably you know Neymar. Right, he was the guy to win it after Messi, Ronaldo. So this is a really, really big stage for him to. Uh, without Mbappe to show his worth, show his value to that team, and and prove to everyone why he is this world-class elite player that is deserving of much more credit and much more recognition. And um, I'm really excited for this one. I think there's some more intriguing, uh, other intriguing uh, matchups. But um, I think obviously the Atletico Madrid, with their whole COVID cases, we're going to find out who obviously tested positive and who's going to be maybe out of contention for this one. Um, I believe they got Leipzig, if I'm correct, right? I think that's who their matchup is. Yeah, with. they they um, face Leipzig, yep. Yeah. Yep, Leipzig. So uh, we also know Leipzig doesn't have Timo Werner. He's not on the team. He once he confirmed his move to Chelsea, he did not want any part of it. He won a risk injury and that's totally fine. I, I understand that. Um, so there's you know, there's some matches in this thing that obviously are gonna be very tightly contested. I think but is a Barcelona Bayern's another great one. I think it's gonna be it's, it's gonna be great to see Messi Lewandowski two down the ore candidates if the, if the award ceremony was going on, but these two guys were probably in the top three, Um, you know, so those Messi probably cares his team a lot more than Lewandowski does. I think Lewandowski is a great supporting cast that have been pretty consistent, but a lot of these matchups, I think, you know, they could go either way with the exception of, you know, some of the ones that you look up on paper and you're like, uh, maybe Atletico Madrid, you know, they're a team that can absorb, you know, maybe they can stifle. Um, and stymie, you know, Leipzig's uh, ability to attack and, and to press on and play quick football. But, you know, in a one-game format, we really don't have much we can base it off of, right? We can't just say, well, you know, they're a team that's built for the one-game format, right? I think this, in, in a strange way, could favor a team like Barcelona and Messi because it's not two legs, it's not, we have to go, we have a lead, you know, in the second leg, we blow the lead, you know, they have have that in recent memory, in recent history, right? So that's what's going to be the most intriguing thing to watch is how the game plans, the tactics, the mindset, the the decision-making changes when it's a win or go home type situation. And that's, what's really going to be the most interesting thing to watch um, over these next four games.
0: Yeah. um, Look at the, at the end of the day, um, anything can happen in one match in football. I, I think everyone knows that for the most part, you never know. Like the way Bayern is playing, I don't really see them stumbling um barcelona there was moments where they didn't look that great but i but again when messi's on like that it's they could beat anybody like that was that was unbelievable you should have had the two goals i thought i thought it was a a, a stupid reversal on um end, but hey um biggest upset in your opinion where where, where do you see the potential with that because i feel like the is really not that big of an underdog anymore because, for the most part, people do respect them and understand what they're capable of. Like, I don't know. I mean, City's capable of defensive lapses. We've seen them lose against weaker sides, but I, I don't see them dropping against Lyon. Lyon looked tired after a certain point in that game yesterday, and they were just holding on. Um, for me, it's at the end of the day, it's it's just – It might be a city on full throttle here, and I would love to see that semifinal matchup. I think that would just be prolific. Pep against his old club, Lewandowski, again, on the big stage. Kevin De Bruyne um, on that stage as well. There's no Aguero That I just think there's just so many storylines. Me personally, as a Milan fan, I don't know about you. I'm rooting for anybody that is not uh, Liverpool. I mean, uh, sorry, Barcelona or Bayern Munich. I, I just don't want them to get closest to the seven overall. So I think I'd be okay with anyone else um, winning this tournament. There's not anyone here that um, really just like, I'd be up in arms about except those two. But luckily those two face each other. So I don't have to worry about that for too long. But, yeah, I mean, is there is there a team that you think can uh, shock and uh, pull it off?
1: Well, I mean, the first – here's the thing. The Atlanta paris St. Germain game it... – I don't think it's people are looking at Atalanta as like the underdog anymore because I think that so much has built up in this game, and so many people have taken note and notice of of what Atalanta have become. To the point where, if Atlanta win, I don't think anyone's gonna be like, "Wow, they beat Paris Saint Germain." You know, I don't think anyone's gonna be shocked there, so I wouldn't consider that an upset. Although I do think that that's very much a possibility, right? Um, no Mbappe, no Verratti. I think you know, in the midfield, that's gonna be a big loss for them. With Veratti, I think they have enough attacking power to to maybe overcome without Mbappe, with Di Maria, Neymar, and you know some of the other guys they got there. But I think for me, the one of the interesting games is gonna be Leipzig, um, and the reason why I say that is. <laughs> Nagelsmann is one of the the great minds in football, up and coming, very young, very bright, as I mentioned. So with him going up against a team like Atletico Madrid and against a coach like Diego Simeone, who can defend, he can find a way to maybe game plan against and neutralize their way of playing. That's going to be interesting because they're predominantly a more younger team. Whereas you have a team like Atletico Madrid, who for the most part, with a lot of the guys they have in that squad have been a little bit more battle tested, right? They've been through these deep runs in the Champions League, they those gritty, grinded out type of performances. I want to see if Leipzig is capable of that. I want to see how they're able to respond and react when they're maybe um, frustrated a little bit when Simeone gets numbers behind the ball and you know, looks to do some of the things that he looks to do and, and you know kind of try and neutralize what uh, Nagelsmann wants to, wants to implement. But overall, some of these other matches, I think Bar and Barcelona, I mentioned a little bit with Messi and Lewandowski, that's a great storyline two uh bound your candidates there we all know how great they are and then even manchester city alone yeah i think manchester city no offense to leon i think juventus lost that game against Lyon. they lost that tie against leon more than leon won it and when manchester city beat real madrid and they looked very good doing it i know that ferran had some some blunders in the back but that's on a characteristic of him i think that's and you play these games again that probably doesn't happen Having said that, I love the form that Debron is in. Sterling looks really good. They have Guerrero. They have a great coach at Pep Guardiola who's been here, who's won this tournament before. I think City's, you could make a case that the, they could be the favorites to win this whole thing right now. The way everything's going, because Bayern Munich have, they had a comfortable lead into that Chelsea match. They've had this huge layoff, winning the league, yes, but also having weeks and weeks off and then having to come into this game where it feels as though they were already having it under control. Right, City have been playing games. I know that the league was wrapped up for the Premier League, but they've been having to quick, quickly transition into this game against a team like Real Madrid and put in a good performance, and they did that. So I think City are probably the team that's most equipped to probably get to a final. But getting back to the main question, Martino, that you asked me is you know which match could be a potential upset. I think it's it's probably going to be the Leipzig at Madrid. I think. Atletico Madrid have been here before, and I'm not saying that Leipzig should be considered the underdog here, but I think most people are considering them the underdog. And if that's the case, if that's what the odds makers are and the people in Vegas are, are making the case here for, then maybe that there's an opportunity there for Leipzig to shock everyone and, and maybe get get beyond Atletico Madrid. Although we have seen that Atletico Madrid are vulnerable at times.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um... It, it, it'll be interesting. Uh, the, the best The best fact of all for Diego Simeone, um, I'm sure he's very happy about is Cristiano Ronaldo is no longer in this competition because um, he always gets eliminated by him, and so does Atletico Madrid. So at least they don't have that to worry about, that they could have potentially met them in the final. But with that, Matt, really quick, just give me your four winners for each. Um, if you want to go first, and then I'll go first, and then uh,
1: we'll get to uh, Pets' interview. Sure, I'm gonna go very quickly with this. I'm going to go Atalanta. They're gonna keep the dream going. Very narrowly, gonna be able to advance past Paris and Germany. I'm going to go with Atletico Madrid over Leipzig. Tightly contested game. Very probably, could, in my opinion, could be the best one um, of these of these ties. I have Bayern beating Barcelona, and then I have Manchester City being real.
0: I am going to go Atalanta. I am going to go Atletico, I'm going to go Bayern, and I'm going to go Man City. So not really much of a hot take there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, just a little bit. I mean, some people, you see some of the pundits, they think it's absurd to pick Atalanta. But Roberto Martinez, respect him on CBS All Access, he said that Atalanta would be dumb. I believe Michael Richards said the same as well. So we'll yeah. see what happens there. It's
1: good to have pundits who respect <laughs> and who respect what Atalanta have done and accomplished already this year and what they've been you know, attacking at will. They do so many different great things that excite. And I think in a match like this against Paris Saint-Germain, where everyone's going to be focusing on what, what Neymar is doing and some of the other players that they have in their team, I think it's, going to, it's really going to be a great opportunity for those who are not familiar with Atalanta to see even more of what they're capable of, and especially if they don't have Josip Ilyich, if they're able to overcome this. That's, that would be insane if they do. And I think they could.
0: Yeah, um, definitely going to be exciting. Um, it's really just going to be a couple hours after this podcast release. So we'll find out basically immediately once you listen to this. And obviously, the way you're going to be able to listen to this is because we're sponsored by The Athletic. Uh, obviously, you know we've been uh, spamming everybody about that, and we mention it every single episode. So here's our plug once again. Today's episode is brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic is a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports covers featuring football reporters you know and love like David Ornstein, James Pierce, Sam Lee, and more. The Athletic is telling stories you won't find anywhere else, Matt. Obviously, with the Andrea Pirlo news, you'll see a ton of it. James Horncastle is on top of it for all you Serie A fans. So I would go and check that out if you haven't already. There's no ads. There's no clickbait. Just great sports writing For 50% off your annual subscription to go to the best sports writing around, all you have to do is this. Theathletic.co.uk slash S-O-P, which stands for Stay to Play Podcast, in case you didn't know, which is this podcast. Uh, Matt, it's 2:40. $250 a month, excuse me, um, for the annual deal if you, do, if you do that. I highly suggest that because you get everything involved in that. Obviously, the NBA is uh, coming down to their final regular season bubble games, and they're going to be heading into the playoffs. So there's a bunch of great news if you want to get involved in that stuff as well. What have you spent to uh, keep Pets' uh, lovely um, tradition going on, on uh, money spent of 250
1: I actually – just recently, at the time of recording, I bought a Chipotle burrito bowl for about <laughs> eight bucks. So that's pretty much essentially for that three three months of payment. Um, I love Chipotle, but I love great football content, great football writing, and I think that's what the Athletic um, provides. Um, and and not just only for football, of course. You're getting that extra value for MLB, which the season's really heating up, sixty uh, game season. Of course, as you mentioned with basketball, with the bubble, um, NFL. We'll have to wait and see what happens with there, but nevertheless. Uh, you also get hockey too. So you're getting a ton of value for that $249. um, And and it's just, as to me, it's a no brainer You sign up through us, 50% off the annual subscription. I already signed up for it. Of course, it makes just too much sense for me, uh, especially someone who's always on their phone and always on their tablet or laptop. get The quick access, it's very much uh, an easy interface to maneuver through. And yeah, make sure you guys sign up, use our link. And once again, thank you for the, uh, the sponsorship from The Athletic.
0: All right, now for the moment of truth. Pet's interview with Arshbog. Take it away, Pet.
2: Hello and welcome back to the State of Play podcast. I'm your host, Pet Barisha. Today we're joined by yet another very, very special guest i'm joined by andrew mangan from Block. how are you doing andrew hey i'm good how are you not too bad not too bad we were just discussing how bloody warm it is out uh, i don't know if it's as hot as it is in london where you are but i am absolutely sweltering
3: yeah no it's it's, it's quite nice here in dublin but it's not anywhere near uh, what you're getting there today i've got some mates who've been sending me whatsapps of the you know the screenshots of their weather app going oh my goodness, <laughs> god, it's so but you know that's a good complaint
2: um, well, I mean, I've been trying to get you on for for a couple of months now and it's kind of the stars have aligned, right? Because mm. we had the FA, FA Cup final win. I'm a big Arsenal fan as well, yeah. which was great. Exhilarating stuff, amazing stuff. And then we've had this... Horrible week where Arsenal have announced redundancies. So we're going to be going through the highs and lows, I suppose, over the last couple of weeks. But let's sure. start with the positives. The FA Cup yeah. final win, amazing. What's, what's your, you know, your instant reaction? What's it mean for for Arsenal? And, and how big a springboard is this for Mikel Arteta?
3: Well, for Mikel Arteta, it's an amazing achievement in his first few months of management to, to win a trophy. There are lots of coaches and managers who, who spend years... Uh, learning the game and learning the job before they ever win anything, if they ever win anything at all. So um, from that point of view, it's great for him. Obviously great for the club as well, because there are a lot of eggs in that FA Cup basket on, on Saturday against Chelsea. You know, the the league campaign had been really disappointing, finishing eighth, scraping into eighth really on the last day. Um, so, you know, the the idea of Arsenal being without European football for the first time in 25 years was, was terrible. You know, th- this is a club that obviously has its problems, but in terms of its stature, in terms of its reputation, the infrastructure, the resources, and everything else that Arsenal should be, it's a long way short, you know. Um, so there was a lot riding on that game. So not only for Mikel Arteta, for the club, for the players as well, You know, next season, there's a lot more football, there's a chance, another trophy to play for. So it was a huge day, a huge day, a lot of pressure. And to have come through it in the way that they did was really, really pleasing. Not just the win, but the way Arsenal played, the character they showed, the quality they showed at key moments. Um, It was a great day and a a really, um, a great way to end what has been a difficult season.
2: Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. But I think a lot of people do sometimes forget how just how recently Mikel Arteta was an actual Arsenal player. It is amazing that, Mm -hmm. you know, he has gone from captaining an FA Cup winning side to winning as a manager in such a short period of time. And I think that's really understated, isn't it?
3: Yeah, you know, it was what 2016 when he hmm. left and went to join Pep Guardiola at Man City. He played in the um, uh, the 2015 FA Cup final for Arsenal and was obviously part of the team that won in 2014 as well. Um, yeah, look, he's what is he 37, 38 years of age, <laughs> still really young in the life of a of a coach. Um, and I think it's quite interesting that he's he's been able to come in at that age without really any experience as as a manager you know nothing behind Mm. him and he's come into a squad with plenty of experienced players you know you look at Aubameyang you look at Shaka you look at David Luiz you look at Lacazette um you know these uh these are 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 players who've been there and done that in various ways and sometimes it can be really difficult for a, a young coach to a transmit authority and b maintain authority and and to have players believe in him you know he could be seen as a soft touch or something like that so you know the fact that he's come in and done it straight away and the players from the young players to the uh, experienced players with with a couple of exceptions have really bought into what he's trying to do and what he's trying to put in place at Arsenal. i think that's that's to his enormous credit as well there is just something about
2: the way he talks, right? I remember the, the first interview that was actually on the, the Arsenal site when he was announced as manager. Just the way he spoke actually instilled a bit of hope in me. And that's, I guess, the the biggest thing, that his ability to communicate very clearly his values and ideas, his vision for the club. And I suppose that's, you know, that's that's gone to the players, but also the fans have seen that.
3: Yeah, look... The fans, you know, look, I can't speak for the fans, but I can say as a fan, I struggled with the Unai Emery era because um, not just because of Unai Emery, I have a lot of um, respect for anybody who goes to a foreign country and, and tries to learn the language and tries to speak in that language when it's difficult to express yourself properly in a language you don't really know Uh you know, that's, that's a very difficult thing to do. And I think that's um, it's to Emery's credit that he tried that, but it did leave us with this, this gap in, in the sort of communication we used to have under Arsene Wenger, for example, mm. and there was nobody else there doing it either. There was, you know, there was no Ivan Gazidis cause he left to join Inter Milan behind the scenes. Things are still going on. We heard very little from those at executive level. So, when Emery, Emery was trying to explain what he was trying to do or trying to explain things that had happened, it was difficult. Um, and what Arteta has done is is provide clarity. He's obviously better uh, in English than than Emery was. Emery only <laughs> had eighteen months in England. Mikel Arteta's you know been speaking English since he went to play in Scotland, so mm. you know he's he's fluent and um, you know the the ability to communicate and to express yourself clearly unambiguously in football is is really important and I think that goes the commu- uh, to the communi- uh, the communication you have with the media with the fans via the media and also with your players mm. uh, and I think I think it's not unreasonable to think that if Emory had difficulties communicating with with the media and with fans the players also had some difficulties with that too. So to have this clear messaging from the, I guess what you would say, the top of the club now, or somebody who is now um, the figurehead of Arsenal, again, uh, is, is a really positive thing for sure.
2: Yeah. And I think this, uh, there were slight deflections, weren't there, from Emery saying that I'm the coach. Uh, these are the players that I've got. And mm. whenever he was asked about transfers, he was like, you're asking the wrong guy. Arteta has taken a more hands-on approach and I don't know if that was, that's been intentionally filtered down from the board or it's something that he's kind of taken on and the board have been like, well, you know, he's doing a decent job here and kind of communicating as this figurehead, let's let him keep doing that. Uh, or, or was that more, um, Something that was to Emery's fault, and uh, he should have been more of that kind of link between, um, you know, fan and board, because Arteta's done a cracking job there as kind of the mm. quote unquote manager, I suppose, as well.
3: Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head there because I think Arteta is a manager. I think mm. he's a manager. Obviously, his title is head coach, but I think he's a manager and I think he thinks he's a manager. He thinks like a manager, he talks like a manager, he acts like a manager he's got that personality he's got that character he's he's he he takes that responsibility and I'm not saying that Emery shirked responsibility but I think it's very clear he was he's a different kind of person different Hmm. kind of personality to to Arteta he was very much a head coach no two ways about it there was no question that he was anything more than a head coach whereas with Arteta you know, you get that feeling from him, don't you? You know, his nominal job title might be head coach, but the things that he says, the things that he talks about, the way that he talks about um, all aspects of the club, not simply the team, make you think, uh, you know, he's more than just a coach. Um, you know, whether, whether that authority might bother some people higher up, we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, I think it's, I think it's a good thing that, that he's got that um, confidence in himself and what he wants to do and what he wants, not just from the team, and not just what he wants to achieve uh, individually um, as a manager or as a coach, whatever you want to call it, but what he wants for the football club in general. Hmm. He talks a lot about that, about the rebuilding, the the restoring of Arsenal to where it should be based on, you know, what we've achieved in the past and and, as I said, Previously, the resources, the the stature of the football club, Arsenal have fallen short in recent Mm. years, and and what he wants to do is bring that back.
2: Yeah, and you know we've seen articles in the Athletic and various other outlets about him being involved in contract negotiations, uh, in conversations about players taking cuts. You know, he was the guy that led uh, Arsenal players to take cuts over the COVID period. You know, he's been involved in Aubameyang's uh, contract negotiations, etc., i just I just feel he's taken so- so much more um responsibility than maybe he was probably asked for at the start. But I think you, you've you've rounded it up really well there. You know, his vision of where Arsenal should be, the stature of the club considering the resources we have, he sees the potential there and he wants to squeeze every ounce of potential out of everywhere, you know, whether it's the players, the 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 board, the, the off field staff, the analytics team, etc. I'm I'm really impressed by him. And I think a lot of people will stand up to notice him outside of Arsenal very soon. Um, which is, you know, might not be good for us in maybe a couple of seasons, Andrew. But we'll, <laughs>
3: yeah, let's, let's, we've got enough to worry about at the moment. Let's leave that to one side. Well, I mean,
2: as you've mentioned, the worries at the moment are that Arsenal have made 55 redundancies across, uh, you know, various departments of the club, and the most notable uh, guy that's been kind of let go, Francis Kagigao, head scout. Um, how shocked were you when you saw this, Andrew?
3: I was quite shocked by that, to be honest. Well. Yeah, I was still shocked. I mean, I think I have, I have some concerns about the way that Arsenal's recruitment is being run in terms of the amount of agent involvement in it and I think it should mm. be of of concern to all Arsenal fans. It, you know, w- what we don't have, I suppose, being absolutely fair about this is is detail. What we're looking at from the outside is is 55 jobs going and that's a separate issue. This scouting um, the scouting redundancies are also separate to that. Um mm. We we don't quite know what they're doing. Um, whether these people are going to be replaced. Whether this is part of a plan to to move to a different kind of recruitment strategy. Perhaps it's more analytical. Perhaps it's more based on on stat DNA and Y scout and identifying players. You know, I just think scouting and technology and data should be uh, combined. You know, I think it's wrong to say that you know you should go only on you know a, a guy with his flat cap on watching the game saying that's the lad that's the guy that we need to buy you know when there is so much information available to you as uh, as football clubs in terms mm. of data in terms of you know player stats and their you know their running stats and their jumping stats and their goals and assists and you know every aspect of a top level players um uh, data is available to football clubs um I just feel like you, you also need the feet on the ground. You need the man there to assess the character of the player and to, to do a little bit of background on him. And, you know, what sort of a guy is he? What's he going to? He might be a great player, but is he, you know, is he a bit lazy? Is he a bit stroppy? Is he this? You know, you find that out when you have scouts on the ground because they talk to people. Um, and I think that's a, it's a fundamental part of the job of scouting and recruitment. You know, the two things should go hand in hand, use all this information and data that you can get from everywhere, but also have good people on the ground. And the thing about this is, is that Arsenal are losing good people. Hmm. Those are, mm-hmm. those are good scouts. It's not, you know, people have said, well, scouting is needed changing and restructuring at Arsenal." Yes, it has. It has, but you know there have been restructures and changes over the last number of years. There was a scout who worked with Arsene Wenger for for most of his tenure who was let go, and um, you know it's not as if these guys are complete bums. So I'm I'm concerned about it. I'm worried about it. I I I feel like agent influence at executive level is too high, which is obvious when you look at some of the names that we're being linked with and some of the players who have come into the club based on the agents that they have. Um, so if this is the start of a brand new, a new dawn of, of scouting and what have you, okay, let's judge it down the line. But, but for now, when there's no information, when, there's no, when we're not getting any, um, anything to fill in the gaps, we're having to do it ourselves. And sometimes you can put two and two together and make five, but more often than not, you can put two and two together and make four.
2: Yeah, I I think I just wanted to pick up on what you said about the the data driven side of things. You know, if we look at the teams that are doing that the best in the world at the moment, you look at the Premier League, Liverpool are top of the game in terms of the analytical field. You look at the championship, it's Brentford. Um and these clubs are really, you know, pound for pound, uh, getting as much as they can out of uh, their players, the players that they buy, especially if you look at Liverpool and um, you know, the likes of uh, Joe Gomez, Andrew Robertson, et cetera. Um, a lot of these guys that Liverpool are buying, you know, Salah is the the big example that they use all the time. I think the the stats guys at Liverpool, when they do presentations, they always use Salah as an example when they say, well, if you take his stats, And if you looked at his stats in Italy and moved them to the Premier League and kind of adjusted for difficulty, his stats were still absurd. It was obvious to any kind of like top analyst in that field that Mm. teams should have been after him. But it seems as though we might, as Arsenal Football Club, be slightly moving away from that. To me, that's a slight concern because if you look at, who's doing it best and who are the best team in the world, (laughs) that that correlation um, is quite clear. And I think we should be moving to a system that does a bit of that, but also has that context that you discussed, you know, the the feet on the ground, talking about the mentality of players, etc.
3: Do you think that Brentford and Liverpool and teams that use analytics a lot still don't put people in the stands to watch players and still don't do their due diligence on them in terms of their character and what sort of people they are and, you know, do they train well? What's their lifestyle like? These are, these are mm. factors that you need to know when you're buying a player because a guy could be statistically off the charts, but he could be, you know, a, a troublemaker. He could be somebody who's out every weekend, his <laughs> lifestyle. You know, th- those are things. And, and I think those are also things which are, you know, if you're, if you're buying at that end of the market, you know, a sala mm-hmm. from Roma, it was a what, 30-odd million pound signing, whatever it was at the time. And, and clearly, he's worth a, a great deal more than that right now. But I think where Arsenal are, there's a need to perhaps fly under the radar a little mm-hmm. bit in terms of the kind of players that you find and bring in. Like, okay, on one level, the Willian thing, um, a player that Arsenal are being linked with makes sense because he's experienced and, and everything else. On the other, you know, you think about how that money could be used, and could you find a player in the lower leagues? Could you find a player from a club that has just been relegated? Could you find a club a player from a club in France or Spain or Germany that is being financially impacted by COVID nineteen, who hasn't quite hit yet in terms of uh, full awareness of what kind of a talent he might be? Can you identify that guy, you know, and mm. and and find those hidden gems is perhaps the wrong word because there are very few of those left in football anymore, but it just seems to me that you can't really do that just by looking at numbers and just by sort of punching in the data and saying, mm. well, look, there's that guy, one, two, three, four, we've got 17 players there, we'll pick that one because he's the best at that, whatever it might be. You have to, you have to still scout players and you have to, these aren't robots they aren't Mm. machines they're human beings and you need to have a human element when it comes to your recruitment
2: yeah and I think some of the factors you've mentioned there the qualities that you know Arsenal Football Club look for but more specifically Arteta's looking for you know if you look at the players that he's frozen out in in Guendouzi and Ozil it's imperative that you know if the numbers work from a data and financial standpoint and a scout says well actually i think he's a good egg then it's kind of tick 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 but mm. if there are players being suggested by super agents or players that aren't going through the scouting network and they do turn out to be um you know another guendouzi right or uh, or someone of that ilk who i don't know i don't think guendouzi a bad kid for example but he's, he's clearly caused a bit of trouble uh, at the, both clubs that he's been at so they are really important but you, you mentioned William there and i do want to pick your your brain on some of the transfer links that Arsenal have been uh, linked with it seems as though we're going for uh, Brazil's past present and future um <laughs> Will- <laughs> Willian who we're linked with uh, apparently you know on a maybe three to four year deal at 100k plus week for a 32 year old this this reeks of Cedric Suarez to me Andrew uh, but at a worse level
3: I wouldn't disagree. I mean, what I would say is, I think Willie Ann for a year could probably be more used to us than than Suarez. I, mm. I I have such question marks over the Suarez deal. I really do. I you know um, again the agents and everything else involved. But look, let's not. I I think for me it's difficult to rationalize a club which is talking about financial difficulties and financial hardships, investing a hundred grand a week on a guy who's going to be 32 on Sunday, giving him a long contract, which, you know, anything over two years at the age of 32 is a long contract with a big signing-on fee and big wages and with literally no resale value. Mm. Like, you know, I can see how Willian could add something to this Arsenal team. You don't, I think he's a good player. Um, I don't think he's brilliant, but I think he is a good player established at Premier League level and European level, and he could he could bring something to this team for a period of time, perhaps while some of the the you know the, the likes of Reece Nelson and Gabriel Martinelli and uh, Emil Smith Rowe, and Bakayo Saka as they develop, you know I can mm-hmm. see some logic to it from that point of view. I just I just struggle with it because I feel like this is a player we're after because it's convenient for him because it's convenient for uh, the technical director, Edu. It's convenient for Kia Juravcian, who is his agent. And I think if Mikel Arteta was asked, do you want Ann? we can get you Ann." he's going to go, well, okay, yeah, he could be, you know, he could mm. add some depth to this squad. But in in the, the context of Arsenal's overall needs and what they need to do to rebuild and to, you know, to try and build a team... Um, in the long term, this, this sort of short-term purchase or short-term deals to try and get back into the champions league. We've tried it and it hasn't worked. We tried it and we ended up eighth. So, you know, we're going down a road we've been down before and we've forgotten that halfway down the road, there's, you know, a, a pack of rabid dogs who are going to tear <laughs> us asunder, um, you know? So it's, it's a difficult one really to, to rationalize. Um, you know, it's it's a lot of money on a player who's not gonna give us a huge amount in return.
2: To me, it feels like we are doing someone like Kia Jarapian and uh Jorge Mendez, you know, these these super agents favors, yeah. uh, in the likes of Cedric Suarez, William, David Luis, whoever it may be, to try and ensure that they help us bring in talent but also uh, get rid of dead wood. Now at the moment what I'm seeing is that you know Jorge Mendes was influential in the the deal with Pepe um and uh, I'm sure those two guys will be influential in deals that come through the door this summer. I'm really curious to see how much help they're going to be in actually the other way like getting rid out rid of the players who are uh, overpriced and overpaid which is really hard for any agent to do.
3: Yeah of course but why do we need agents to do that work for us why don't we have people within the football club who can do that work you know it's, if a, somebody, it's a good question you know <laughs> that should be a job that somebody at arsenal has not something we outsource to an agent because they get paid you know if people think that that george mendez or kia geragian are are somehow philanthropic or they're doing this you know just because they want to help that's nonsense i mean hmm my understanding of the Pepe deal is that uh, George Mendes got paid a lot of money, mm. a lot of money. Um, You know, we, I think Jorabjian was involved in the the sale of Alex Iwobi to Everton. Mm. He represented Arsenal, but why did Arsenal need Kia Jorabjian to represent them, to sell a player to a club they, they already have a relationship with? Cause we'd sold Theo Walcott there. 12 months previously Mm. or six months previously or whatever it was
2: for a decent fee as well
3: for a decent fee. You know, this should be work that is done by somebody at Arsenal. And I know look the idea that, that you, you have to deal with agents. That's, that's, I think everyone accepts that they're so ubiquitous within the game. You have to deal with them, but I don't think you should be sort of inviting them in and letting them put their feet under the, the table, you know, and getting comfortable and, and and being part of processes they don't need to be part of. Mm-hmm.
2: It, it is it is maddening to to think that we've gone from this kind of uh, a club where class and our values were at the forefront in such a short period of time post Arsene Wenger to, uh, to kind of get in bed with these agents. I've got a question here from Maxwell mm. H.T., is there an argument to suggest that agent-led recruitment at Arsenal has been has had a better impact than previous models of the club? So, I mean, recruitment over the last 24 months hasn't been horrific. And one could argue then that the previous summers we've seen before um, that were not great. So is there any light at the end of the tunnel working with these agents, Andrew?
3: I think if there's variety, there might well be you know, I don't think there's, like we were talking about earlier with um, scouting,
1: hmm.
3: you know, I don't think you should just be one thing or the other thing. You know, you can work with agents, but you can also use your own scouts to find players and, and what have you. I think the concern that people would have looking at the, the deals that Arsenal are doing is the involvement in Kia Juravgian in most of our recent deals. If you take Willian, we take it as read that he's coming. Um, Suarez, David Luiz. Um, the other agent that we used to bring in Pablo Marie from Flamengo was a guy called Arturo Canales, who is a, a good friend of Raul Senyehi, who represented Unai Emery, who was the guy who brought Unai Emery to the table when Arsenal were looking for a new manager. So thank you very much indeed for that. Um, you know, it, it feels like the pool of agents that we're dealing with is very small. You know, and, yeah. and and that to me means that you're you're restricted in terms of the players who are available to you.
2: Mm. And you and know? if you want to get someone like a Pepe who isn't necessarily in their network, then you have to pay them a lot of money.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. Look, <laughs> it's it's um, it's part and parcel of the way the football world works. There are people out there. I think you know, if you were to ask people, you know, do you think the transfer world is murky is it you know not quite right people will probably say yes i i I have a suspicion or yeah uh, a strong suspicion that we don't know the half of it
2: Mm, in mm.
3: terms of the money that is swashing through football clubs in england and europe all over the world oh it's i mean
2: just just look at what um You know, uh, Kier and Jorge Mendes have done with uh, you know Kier, especially moving players over to China and back and you know Paulinho being sold to China for thirty million, then back to Bar. Like something's something dodgy is going on there. And I mean James James Hurley, who's a business editor at the the Times, actually has a question here: How concerned should we be at the influence of that super agent bloke? (laughs) (laughs) Which I mean, we've we've just begin begun discussing it, but there are these dark murky underworlds in the transport that
3: a lot of football fans just don't know know about well look if this guy was bringing us top quality players I suspect there would be much less concern about what he's doing but he's not he's brought us a 32 year old 33 year old David Luiz who had a couple of good games at the end of the season but for the most part was awful you know, he was. He was. he was. he was. He was awful. Cedric Suarez was a player that Southampton did not want. And he ends up at Arsenal.
2: Uh, on a four-year uh, deal as well. On it's, a four-year year deal. And it's he's mad.
3: 29 at the end of this month. Willian, like I said, a decent player, somebody who could bring something to this Arsenal team in the short term, but a 32-year-old mm. who Chelsea aren't overly concerned about keeping. They've offered yeah. him something and it's like, well, take it or leave it because we've got Timo Werner and we've got uh, Kai Havertz coming in and we've got the uh, Ziyech uh, dude and we've got uh, hudson Adoy and we've got Tammy Abraham and we've got Mason Lange and we've so. got Pulisic. So it's like, take it or leave it, mate. And uh, he's like, well, I'll leave it because Arsenal are going to give me pretty much what I want. So, you know, I, I think the concern for me is uh you hear people say this all the time. You kinda have to take some of the bums. You take take some of <laughs> the take some of the the dodgy guys because he'll bring you like the gem. You've got to you've got to do this favor for him and then he'll bring you the gem. Who's the gem? Who is who is the standout? Is it Coutinho? Yeah. I mean,
2: I, mean, I don't know. I mean it is the other side of it is also is like, if you can't bring the gems, can you can you get rid of some of our bums can you get rid of uh you know the Urzals, the class Natchez who are on big yeah, but they wages they all have and...
3: agents of their own they don't yeah. need they don't need any involvement from from kia or, yeah. or george mendez or whatever they've got their own agents
2: yeah so the only thing they can offer really is is the, the incomings which as you mentioned we we haven't seen really too much of any kind of no. outstanding deals for arsenal one that might be look like a decent deal is uh young gabriel from from lille the the center half i mean obviously you've got your ear to the ground uh, andrew what's what's what is the latest that you're hearing on him and have you seen much of him as a player
3: i haven't seen much of him from a player or as a player and i don't really know what's happening in terms of of the transfer you know how accurate the information is it seems mm. you know it's more and more difficult these days to um, disseminate the source of of transfer rumours and transfer information. Some of it is is quite obvious. Other times it's sort of a, a story that's reported in one country, which gets turned around and reported in the other, and then it's taken as fact because it's you know it's a weird thing. Um, you know it's 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 a signing that I think some people are excited about because of the profile of the player. He's a, a central defender. We need a central defender. You know Arsenal are muddling through seasons with we players who are not quite good enough, I think is the right way to put it. You know, there's some, some are not m- quite good enough more than others. Um, and it's an area that, that we need to strengthen. we we brought in William Saliba, of course, from uh, Saint-Étienne. He played there on loan last season and he'll be with us next season. But, you know, it's a lot to ask a 19 year old um, he fits the bill, I suppose, in terms of the profile of player that he is. He's got good experience. At the moment, though, I just wonder or worry a little bit about the about the fee. Uh, I th- think I saw something in the thirty millions being I thought, mentioned. Yeah, thirty
2: million euros was um, the. the it,
3: it feels to me like Arsenal are going to need to have to sell before they can buy mm. at that level, anyway. Mm. Um, so you know, if he comes. Uh, you know he, he's got the profile and he, he does seem to fit the bill. So I'd be, I'd be pleased with that. But then, you know, at times this season, given the way Arsenal have defended, I would take you know a traffic cone. Uh, if somebody spent twenty five million on a traffic cone, I'd nearly give it a go ahead of some of the uh, the defenders we had. So <laughs> well, I mean, I'd be pleased in that sense. Uh, I mean,
2: we, we do have a lot of centre <laughs> <laughs> halves, don't we? Yeah. I mean, uh, we've got a question here from Adam Davis. What would be the perfect sum of transfers? Uh, for you being realistic on, on budgets, etc. And I mean, for me, a, a starting off point would be thinning out some of the center halves that we have. We've got too many, don't we?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Holding, Chambers, Louise, Mustafi, Socrates, Mavropanos is going to spend a, a, a year on loan in, mm. in Germany with Stuttgart. And then, of course, there's Saliba. So there's six. So we, you know, uh, I would get, oh, Pablo Maria as well, of course. So, Look, if we got rid of Louise, Mustafi, and Socrates, I wouldn't shed a single tear. Not a single tear. I think we'll probably hold on to one of those. Um, I suspect that somebody like Rob Holding could go, maybe on loan. Um but yeah, certainly thinning out the center halves and adding quality in the central defensive position would be would be a good start. Um and just speaking more generally, I think it's it's really clear and it's you know an issue that i think any arsenal fan or anybody who watches arsenal can recognize there is a dearth of creativity mm. in the team particularly mm. in midfield and i feel like that is the area i'm most interested in to see what we do in terms of a transfer and what kind of a player we bring in because i think it might give us an idea of of how we're going to address That situation, you know, I think it's inevitable that Mesut Ozil, um, well, his Arsenal career is is all but over, isn't it? You Mm. know, when you look at what's happened over the last couple of weeks, so the the creative gap absolutely needs to be filled. Um, Whether that's with a kind of attacking number eight type, I don't know that we're going to go with a traditional number ten if that player even exists anymore. If you if you consider Ozil that kind of a player. Um, where are we going to get the creativity from? Um, But I I suspect that is a big issue for Mikel Arteta and one of the things that he will be concentrating on when it comes to recruitment.
2: Yeah, I mean, we mentioned Coutinho a little bit earlier. That's one that's been, that just doesn't seem to go away and it's another agent play. Is that a, a player that you'd be happy with at Arsenal? I'm not too sure. I don't really know where he'd play and just, you know, at his age, if it was a permanent transfer, again, it's the, the resale value thing.
3: Yeah, I don't know that we could make a permanent transfer. Mm. I think it'd be too expensive. I think Barcelona are looking for too much money. Um, Bayern Munich paid over twenty million euros to have him on loan for a season. Um, <laughs> you know, which is crazy. You know, the loan fee and the wages that you know, two hundred and fifty grand a week wages and a seven eight million euro loan fee. It's it's. Crazy, you know, it's crazy money that a club like Arsenal can't really afford to do. How could how could Arsenal justify that? Even if they got a you know a significant haircut on that, how could they really justify investing that much money in a player for a year? You know, I don't think Coutinho has been particularly good for Bayern mm-hmm. Munich. um With all due respect to some of the teams in the league there, and the strength of Bayern. What he has produced in terms of goals and assists is not at all impressive. Um, so, I, you know, again, it's this weird thing, isn't it? You could look at Arsenal and say, well, Coutinho could add something to the team, but is it the best way of allocating restricted resources? And I'm not sure that it is. I, I don't mean, know. Just, it, with
2: the, just for is. the loan and yeah. the uh, signing on fee, it would be like the equivalent of having three Martinellis, wouldn't it?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look there, if you could find three more Martinelli's, that would be, (laughs) that would be fantastic. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it really is about using your resources in the best way possible, Mm. you know, but find the balance between what you need and what you can spend and what might be value for money and what might be, you know, a deal that could actually gain you some money in a few years time if you sell a player or two, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah, it's it's not one that I feel particularly inspired by. And again, it comes back to that agent uh, and those relationships between the head of football and the technical director at Arsenal and that agent. Does it really suit Arsenal or does it really suit them?
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it definitely suits them to have Coutinho move around, you know, whether it's the agent fees and also making a client of theirs a little bit happier. Um, they're obviously very there's a vested interest for them to do so, but I can't understand, especially if Arteta is going to play some, I'm I'm presuming he's going to play some 3-4-3, especially if we have... Um, uh, Saliba uh he's young centre-half, it might be easier to bed him in a three. Uh, Gabriel, if he comes in, he's very left, left-footed, left so you'd envision him playing as the left side of a, uh, a centre-back pairing or trio. So uh, you could see us playing some 3-4-3 three, three next season. I just don't really see where Coutinho fits in, but Jason Waterman has a question here. Why aren't we playing Ozil? We clearly lack some creative hot, and are we going to sell him? So I've personally not been... The, his biggest fan the last two years for a variety of reasons on and off the pitch. I think he's um, he's underperformed as a whole in his Arsenal career. And I think he's um, not been very good for the dressing room off the pitch. So is this going to be the summer that we finally see him go, or is he going to do a Gareth Bale and just kind of, which he's just going to chill in London for a year?
3: I'd, look, I hope so because I think it's a situation that Arsenal need to, to sort out, you know, having the, the constant, where is Mesut Ozil? Will Mesut Ozil play? What's happening with Mesut Ozil? Is Ozil okay? Are you okay with Ozil? You know what? What's he tweeting now? You know, is he playing Fortnite? What's, what's got? You know, it's just a, it's a mess. It's a mess, and I think it's a, it's a dark cloud over the club and the team. And we need to move on. Like you, you know, I think he's underperformed. I feel like, I feel like he's a player who achieved the best things in his career at a relatively young age, if you like, you know, the world cup, he Mm. went to Real Madrid, you know, he came into Arsenal and, and I don't think we should forget that he was very, very good for, for Arsenal for a couple of years. Mm. Um, Some of his displays were outstanding. um, Particularly when we had Alexis Sanchez in the team, but since the contract, um, it's been pretty much a disaster in terms of his productivity. Uh, this season he had, and last season, he had issues with Emery. He had issues with Freddie Jumberg this season during the four or five games that Freddie was, was taking charge of the team. And now there are issues with Mikel Arteta. We don't know what they are, but there's only one common denominator, isn't there? <laughs> you know, so I, 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 I do think it's it's really important that there's some finality to this situation because you you can't have these I'm not going to say toxic I'm not going to say he's toxic or or whatever it is but you need to be freed from the burden of a his wages and that's a, that's the fault of the club I don't have any problem with Mesut Ozil's uh wages uh, from his point of view he was uh, awarded a contract which the club sanctioned that's on them so um are you know are we entitled as arsenal fans to expect more on the pitch for that kind of money i think so but at the end of the day they gave him the contract it's on them but you you have to sort of get rid of players who just aren't contributing and whose whose presence is not in any way a positive. Mm. And that unfortunately is, uh, and I think it's a shame. I think it's a real shame. I think the Ozil situation for him as a player and for Arsenal as a football club is negative. And if you want to rebuild, if you want to get going again, if if you want to kick on, you've got to create an environment which is for the most part positive or as positive as it can be. And that's, that's just not one of those situations.
2: Mm. And I think he won the battle against Unai Emery, didn't he? That kind of uh, back and forth, the uh, the weird press conferences, the the mm. Instagram posts, etc. He won that battle, you know. He lost his job. Uh, Ozil came back in under... Um, uh, well, I mean, he came back in before he lost his job, but then lost his job and everyone thought, you know, was going to start day in, day out. Freddie Inberg didn't see it that way. Mm. Uh, hauled him off a few times. But with Mikel Arteta, he's not winning back, that battle at all. You, you can't, you know, everyone's bought in that, whether it's the board, the fans, the players. Mesut Ozil is in a position now that unless next season starts in a in a blazing fire and we mm-hmm. lose like 10 games in a row to start off the season, he's not going to win this battle against Mikel Arteta. And I, I do wonder um, if he is going to finally look to, to move on. But, um, I mean... I know you, yeah, you hate talking about him, and I, I don't really like talking about him either, <laughs> to be honest. But um, we've got one last question before I ask you about sure. last, next season. Uh, Blazers for goalposts, I think, are another podcast. Go, go check them out, guys, if you're listening. Um, how different would the club's fortunes on the pitch have been over the last two seasons if Arsenal had appointed Arteta originally? as was much speculated at the time, instead mm. of Unai Emery. And I think you and James on the Ask Ask Extra discussed this. Um, you think it might have actually been for the best for Arteta to join when he did?
3: Look, I was all for it. Well, maybe I talked myself into it back in 2018. <laughs> I think a lot of you us know? did. I think a lot of us did, because we had to, because that's what was going on. Um, I suspect in the grand scheme of things that it's probably for the best that he took over when he did. I'm not saying the circumstances in which he took over were ideal because they clearly weren't, but he had another 18 months of working or more or less of uh, working with Pep Guardiola. He won the premier league title with Manchester city. Arsenal had some ups and downs and so they tried some things and some things didn't work and some things did. And then they didn't work even more. Um, you know, it was always going to be, it was always going to be a tough gig to follow Arsene Wenger, um, and I think maybe it might just have been a little bit too soon for Mikel Arteta at that point. On the other hand, I've been nothing but impressed with him since he came in because of how he's spoken and because of the the clarity of his messaging and his vision and what he wants from his team and what he wants from his, his players and all that kind of stuff. So I do wonder if, you know, even if it hadn't been quite as successful, even if we didn't win something in his first year, you know, which would have been unlikely anyway, perhaps the building bol- blocks would have been put in place to get us a little bit further down the line, a little bit more quickly, but we can only speculate. Uh, I, I, all I can say is I'm glad to have him now. Um, <laughs> Because I, I think it's, I think, you know, we need somebody like him. We need somebody with that, that, that strength of personality um, to take this club back to where it needs to go. So I'm fudging the answer a little bit. It's, it's, it's pure speculation, of course, to say it would have been much better or, or much worse. But I think my gut feeling is that we had to go through something else to get the right guy. And I, I, I think and I hope that Mikel Arteta is the right guy. Mm,
2: I, I think he is. I'm, I've been thoroughly impressed. I'm. I'm all in. Right. Whatever he wants, mm. I want. <laughs> um, just before we do let you go, uh, let's let's talk about next season. Right. Um, what are some realistic? What would be a really good season for Arsenal next season under Arteta?
3: A really good season, I think, would be a top four finish and getting back into the Champions League. And I would say. That even if Arsenal didn't win a trophy, making that kind of step forward in terms of, in terms of our final league position would, would be a really good season for us. I, I think it would also have to be, and I suppose it would be, married to an improvement in terms of our, our performances and our consistency in those 38 games in the Premier League, you know, to see Arsenal, some of, some of the way we played against Chelsea on Saturday was great. It was really fantastic to see a team that was comfortable playing out from the back and, and, you know, there are still key elements missing from this Arsenal team, but, you know, if, if Mikel Arteta can put in place improvements in our performances uh, and the way that we play the game and we can start to see a sort of, I don't want to say Arteta ball, because I think he's, he's probably a, pragmatic coach in in the sense that you know he won't be wedded just to one particular style of play um but if we can see those improvements coupled with a a, an improvement in in the final league position I think that would be a really good season with you know young players maybe developing a little bit further and and what have you Um, for me I think that's what I would be looking at
2: yeah, I think um, if you also consider you know, the outlay that Chelsea are making, the money that Man City are spending, the money that United are most likely going to spend in the form of Jadon Sancho buying probably the best youngster in the world apart from uh, Kylian Mbappe, mm. it is going to be tough. He is going to have to go above and beyond and, and be the underdog and squeeze every inch out of every player that he's got to get anywhere near a um, top four spot, for example. So I don't think the expectation should be too high. But at the same time, the way he speaks and the ambition that he has—if he is backed in the summer—then I think for the first time he is going to see a bit of pressure, isn't he?
3: Mm. Yeah. Look, I mean, uh, people were well aware of the the circumstances in which he took over, but you know, th- this kind of ties into what happened with Arsene Wenger as well. That, that when you when you do well and when you achieve things and he's already achieved something, you kind of set the standard for yourself mm-hmm. and you raise the expectation levels among fans about what it is you can do. Um, so that's part of the job, though. I think he's well aware of that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's part of the job that he'll be quite happy about. It's a challenge to, to live up to those expectations. But I think he would prefer that than sort of scrambling around firefighting against things going wrong all the time. You know, he's clear about what he wants and about what he wants to be as manager of Arsenal and what he wants Arsenal to be under him as manager. So, you know, he's not, he's not leading anybody down the garden path. You know, Mm. he's saying, I want to do things. I want to achieve things with that comes the pressure. And I think he's capable of, of dealing with that um, in a big way.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's just a breath of fresh air, isn't it, to the club, and he's been fantastic. But uh, I don't want to keep you any more, Andrew. We're obviously, you know, probably uh, pissed off pair of gooners at the moment. Saka, <laughs> hasn't, Saka hasn't been uh, nominated as the Young Player of the Year. How
3: has he not I even don't gone know. Into it's the...
2: crazy. Some of the blokes on that list are like 25. I know, it's 20. ridiculous. They need to and, lower that age.
3: <laughs> well, they do, you know, and I think, yeah, they need to restructure that. You know, 25 years of age as Young Player of the Year is absurd <laughs> now. You know when when players start earlier, when they develop much earlier, they're given chances much earlier now. You know it, it should be under twenty bought football bought for massive or. fees a lot earlier as well. Oh, yeah, exactly. Or maybe you have maybe you have like a Premier League. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? What do you call it when somebody uh, plays their first season?
2: Best newcomer.
3: Best newcomer, yeah, or, or rookie. Like that. Rookie of the yeah. year, whatever it might be. It's a very American term, but you know that that kind of thing maybe that's the way that should go, you know, rather than somebody like Raheem Sterling probably still got nominated. But, did he? <laughs> no, you know, it was Martial
2: no- that was the guy who's turning right. was it? Martial and um, who was the other one? He's about to turn 25. I don't know, but it's crazy. I can't believe it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll hold that, uh, you know, hopefully that he, he gets nominated next year. But <laughs> Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can people find out more about you?
3: oh the website uh, arsblog.com twitter at arsblog and you know you can find everything we do there from news to podcasts and and the whole lot it's all there so if you if you want to come check it out if you're an Arsenal fan please feel free it'll be great
2: <laughs> thank you very much for coming on and thank you everyone for listening All right, another tremendous one-on-one
0: interview. I really love these, Matt, where we get all these interviews right in the thick of the episodes. You with Mateo, your bread and butter with Serie A. Peck gets his bread and butter with Arsenal, obviously. He was definitely
1: fanboying for sure, too.
0: Oh, oh, come on. <laughs> I
1: don't blame Pat. him. That's yeah, a huge, that's a huge, a huge guest we had on.
0: It It is. And, um, great for Pat. Thank you so much uh, for coming on as well. Thank you to anyone that has listened to uh, this episode as well. And many others in the past. If you're new, please subscribe. Obviously you could find us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, uh, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, like us. There's so many different uh, places that you could go there. Um, it's really exciting. We've been growing a lot and we really appreciate all the support we've been adding from everyone. Um, especially check out the, the episode that we referenced earlier in the episode before the interview um, about uh, Andrea Pirlo and, and his hiring at Juve. Me and Matt covered that. So plenty to watch there. I think we had, last time I checked was over 750 viewers. So hopefully we're up to over a thousand at this point. Um, so yeah,
1: plug your social media. Sure. Five guys can follow me on Twitter at matt underscore santangelo um hopefully i've been saying this pretty much at the end of every episode that i'm going to get back into the whole writing thing, but um, I think it's definitely going to happen very soon. I have a lot to say. Of course, you guys got a, a, a good glimpse of that with our 46-minute periscope, which we thought was going to be a quick little 15-minute reaction. Um, but yeah, make sure you guys are following me on Twitter, of course. Um, subscribe to the to the YouTube channel. We have two episodes yes. or two videos up there. Some really great content, of course, with Harry Brooks uh, breaking down some ball-playing central uh, defenders. Another one coming we, out this week. Another one's coming out. I know Pet's been co- cooking up in the back some really good content for us and for you guys. Um, it's a really premium content. I don't think anybody is really delivering the way we are so make sure you guys are subscribing on youtube and of course the podcast apple spotify wherever podcasts can be listened to leave a good review like tell your friends about us and yeah we we really appreciate the support that and we really appreciate you guys lending a hand in the growth that we've enjoyed the past three four months
0: yeah um and you can follow me on social media at martino puccio
1: justin push
0: just an update. Do you know? Have you seen the recent update?
1: I haven't. You know I've seen some of your tweets banging for. Basically, some yes. getting like really positive attention, and then some people kind of like. You know, you're kind of getting in the heads of of Juventus fans of the, some of the yeah the, some, the, some of, them, some, of at, them, but, some of them
0: some of them got look, upset about the Jamie character. You, you
1: can't please everybody at the end of the day. It's about that getting to that one k, and if you do before pet, that's bragging rights for you. So oh, I, I respect oh, the hustle. Baby, he's sleeping. He's literally did. sleeping right now, but he's I, sleeping with his content.
0: I took a hell of a lead. I am up thirty followers on
1: pet. There you go. Like nine twenty
0: like to eight nine.
1: Serie A boys, the culture boys are, are dominating yes, here.
0: Yeah, shout out to Jamie Carragher uh, by the way for that that tweet was uh, massive. <laughs> I, gu- I guess it really ruffled the feathers of a lot of. F- Actually, it didn't ruffle that many. It was just
1: a couple that couple were, people were chirping. A a couple eh, of. It, it was it was when you probably caught them. You probably posted that, like, and then they were kind of like in a little bit of a mood. Which I I, understand, I don't blame them.
0: I understand. But, uh, but, yeah,
1: yeah. It's, yeah it's, especially when it comes from Milan fan, there's always kind of those two fan bases. By and then fans,
0: Liverpool, but. Liverpool fans been getting under the skin of a lot. Of of people but it was just yeah. too good of a quote to pass up i, I can't nah, help I it i'm sorry i, I respect you Ray. I was
1: very um, t- well timed
0: yes very well timed. but anyways you could also follow pet at pet Barisha. um thank you once again to Arsblog blog um for helping us out this episode and coming on um hopefully we can book our, our i'm very excited if we can get the next guest for the next episode be uh stay tuned on our twitter by the way yeah. for that. Well um, um it'll be Yeah, also
1: real quick, the last yeah. thing too is is you know with some of the guests we've had on we we've, we've been getting a lot of great questions and a lot of support on that. And yes. Thank you guys for for submitting those. I think it kind of changes up the whole structure and flow of the episode and it adds a little bit more beef to it. I think the, the perfect example is, is is you know the interview that we had with um with Arsblog here. A lot of great questions and and just a lot of great Um, insight to be added to it once you guys provide those. So, so thank you guys and and keep sending those in. Of course you guys can uh, tweet at us, DM us on all platforms. You guys can email us at stateofplaypod at gmail.com. Anyway, you guys have a question for us, just shoot it our way and we'll, we'll make sure to answer that on air.
0: Yeah. um, Thank you so much again and listen to some